Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Training Unleashed. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is innovation. With me today, we have John Saunders. John is an author, coach, and a lifelong learner, and I love lifelong learners. Anyone who listens to the show knows that. Uh, he is also the founder and owner of Forward Advisory Solutions. Uh, John, it is terrific to have you here. Uh, before, I'm going to ask you a question here, but I uh, just want to acknowledge that you are here. He's also the author of the book, The Optimizer. Uh, and I love the name of the book. So John, tell us a little bit about the book and, and your key kind of points in your book. That would be probably a good place for us to start. Sure, and uh, thanks again for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, the Optimizer is a book about building and leading a team of serial innovators. It's developing system and processes that help your team really in a way unleash their gifts. And you, you used the word why, why, you know, why did I write this book? And I think that's one of my favorite stories to tell, which is, you know, I spent over two decades working on Wall Street as a sales executive and a sales leader, uh, 20, gosh, 23, almost 24 years. And over that time, what I found, Evan, was so many people are extraordinarily gifted, but for one reason or another, often they never found a way to unleash those gifts, if you will. And what I found over time through my leadership work, through going to business school, through researching the book, interviewing dozens of people, was that what keeps them, what, what keeps people from unleashing their gifts is oftentimes fear, emotional hurdles, fear, loss, uncertainty, shame. And it's a, it's a confluence of events because if you're a leader, you're inextricably tied to creating change, leading innovation in some way, shape or form, but it's what your team members fear the most. So if you don't create this trusting, safe environment, it's never going to happen. So what this book is really about is trying to help people understand a system, a process to really unleash those gifts and to deliver results. Okay, John, I'm going to give you like favorite guest status here for using the word unleashed three times. <laughs> <laughs> no, because this, this, and this is why I like innovation is the theory of this podcast is all about unleashing training, unleash, and, tra and training helps you innovate. Right, you know, innovation without training can be frustration because you know you've got this great idea. Management has a great idea, but they don't bring it down. And, you know, I'll give an example in skiing. They got all these mass requirements of things to do, and I went skiing this weekend, and signs everywhere. But apparently, no one trained the staff to tell the skiers they really need to have their mascot. <laughs> you know, like a little detail. Um, so. So let's get back to this concept of innovation and change, because this is like one of the most important things to me is how do you actually create that culture of trust? Because people are scared of change, in particular change for the good. There doesn't matter what the change is. People get nervous around change. So how do you create that change? And uh, how do you create that trust? Yeah, it's, uh, boy, there's an entire chapter dedicated to the answer to that question. So uh, I'll, I'll try to boil it down here, but I'll, I'll first back up and say one of my favorite stories I wrote in the book was about Henry Burton, who was jailed in 1636 for being deemed an innovator by the King of England. So really? I, I, 
I was very happy to find that story because sometimes we often think we have this sort of recency bias, like this is happening today and it's very different. And I wanted to, I sort of dug very deeply to find this happened 400 years ago. A guy was jailed for creating change. And uh, I thought that was fascinating. So it really helped. I was trying to set the tone of like, this is not a recent phenomenon. Um, but when you think about building trust, uh, there's a number of levels to it. And certainly first is creating a personal connection. And the thing I can't stress here with your team members, the thing I can't stress here enough is that this is not a one-time event, right? People send a note to their team member, hey, hope you had a great weekend or wasn't that fun or what have you. Like that's one touch, right? This is, it has to become part of your process. And I think the mindset shift for me that really helped was starting to think about my team members as my clients, as opposed to my workers. And because I said, do this, they're going to do it, right? Because I'm their boss. I love that. But thinking about them, yeah, as your clients, how, if, how do I think about a client? You want to retain and grow that client, right? Well, how do you take that mindset and turn it on your team? And the way you retain and grow a good client is build a good trusting relationship with them. I think that same design can be uh, worked with your team. It's building that personal relationship. It's having those, those personal touches. It's getting their feedback. I mean, how many times... Uh, how many times in your career has someone come to you and said, hey, Evan, you work for me or you've been on my team for a number of years. And what's it like working with me? How could I improve this circumstance? I mean, more than 10, more than one, <laughs> more than zero. Uh, it, it's not a common occurrence. And I'll tell you, that was a, a big breakthrough for me as a sales guy. Uh, when I first got out into the field, or talking about 2000 now, uh, my firm was kind enough to give me uh, the worst territory in the company. You know, as a young guy, they thought, well, he can't make it any worse. So they <laughs> gave me a shot. I was sort of moving up the ranks. And uh, so I moved from New York City to Florida and I was covering Florida and Puerto Rico. And the territory was essentially on life support. So it was very easy to show quick results. So five or six years really took off. And I won a couple of awards and then my business really kind of plateaued. And I'll never forget sitting at the meeting, the award ceremony and thinking, when they, when they got to the award that could have been, that I could have won, they announced the person's name and it hit me right then and there. Man, I wasn't even in the running this year and I've been deluding myself that I was. And I remember how frustrated I was that day. And I ran right up to the guy that won the big award that year. His name was Ian. And I said, Ian, is there something you did differently this year to help turn your business around? And he had this blowout year. He said, yes, I went to my favorite client relationships and asked for direct feedback on what it's like working with me. This is 2010, 11 now I'm talking, and I, I'd never even considered this idea. So I immediately got his survey, took it to my best clients and had these same conversations. And wow, I mean, you wanna talk about the greatest start, stop, continue exercise you will ever go through. And humbling exercise is sitting down with your best relationships and saying, hey, what's it like working with me? How could I be a better partner to you? But more importantly, sitting down with them and saying, Evan, I respect you and how you run your business. I'd love to get your feedback on how I could be a, best, a better business operator. So it's a very meaningful relationship builder as well. So take that little idea I just gave you and fast forward, I won that big award the following year. I, I went out, did these surveys, took it right to my business plan, executed like crazy. And I won the big award next year. I got a, got a promotion a year later. Now as a leader, I took that did exact- Did you acknowledge the guy? Oh, for sure. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's just curious. This very story is in my book, and uh, and I use his name, uh, and I asked for his permission. <laughs> uh, fast forward, I took that exact same model and applied it to my team, and I've got a bunch of examples there. But that it's this feedback loop, it's building trust, it's deepening relationships. It's just so powerful. Do you like three hundred and sixty uh, degree uh, feedback 
tools or do you think it's better just to do the face-to-face -face conversations? Uh, I do like 360. I find those useful. It's, I think people, especially if you don't know them as well, you can hit sort of a wider audience and they've, you know, synonymous, so they can be a little more honest, I guess. Um, so I, but I think, I don't think there's one answer. I think it's, you know, a multitude of things. You know, I, I, I do like them. And what I have found interesting also is because I used to do, you know, old school, you know, once a year you do the, you know, the, the review of your employee uh, is to have the employee do a self-review of themselves and how their self-reflection was very powerful. And in there, I always ask, you know, what more support can you get from a lead, from your, from me? Um, but I've never done the face-to-face. -face, so that's something I get to try. Uh, and I like that because I think that shows you're vulnerable and you're willing, you're really, you know, willing to listen. I think it make, that makes a huge difference. I know that you also talk about innovation and how innovation has changed over the years. Um, so I think it's interesting just thinking about the fact that a process of change has changed. Um, but, you know, because the only thing, you know, that is sure is change, I guess, death and taxes and change. Uh, but um, how has innovation from your perspective changed over the years? You know, it, I, I suppose in a lot of ways, and if, if I try to drill it down to the themes I really came up with in the book is that uh, one, the, the pace of change has changed as you alluded to, but I think more importantly, it, it's, it's getting harder, particularly in the United States where we've already experienced so much change, right? You go back 150 years ago and we we're you know, going from using shovels to having machinery. Right. Machines aren't that, you know, it wasn't that hard to turn a, 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 an engine into a tractor and make a machine go and replace horses. That was a you know, massive uptick in innovation. Well, now, you know, we're trying to put rocket ships on Mars. Right. So the, 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 the sort of the, uh, the marginal lift is getting harder to get because we've we've come so far. And that's why I think I think my process is, is pretty interesting because it's about constantly getting your team to allocate time to this constant improvement idea or optimization, if you will. And, you know, it's funny, the book started out uh, first on leadership, then on innovation, it evolved a few times itself. And through one of my interviews, uh, I never thought about this, but interviewing an executive at Microsoft, he used, I said, how do you think about innovation? And he said, Op it's optimization. And I actually kind of got in a debate with him <laughs> in a retrospect, I feel a little silly for doing that. But then <laughs> as, we as we talked about it, I realized, man, this is how I've thought about it for years, but I never put that word on it. And I've lived in this constant state of how to get more efficient and effective. And then I really tried to impart that idea on my team. And going through these trust exercises and building that over time, it really started to work. And in fact, one of my team members came to me one day, I'll never forget it. And he said, I said, you know what we've done here? We've, we've created a culture of innovation. And I never, I didn't set out to do that. I'd never thought about it that way, but he brought that to me and that was actually one of the big turning points for me and even thinking about writing a book was that conversation one of the early breakthroughs was going to one of my team members i was this guy's peer for years now i'm his boss right so we're about a year into working together and he said uh i said brian you know i feel like our communication isn't working the, the, you know we do all these conference calls which was just sort of a tradition at our firm my boss did it i just kind of carried it on but i became a manager and he said we have too many dang conference calls. Uh, he didn't say it that nicely, actually. And, and I said, I looked at the sort of the year of calendar calls and I was like, man, if I just knocked out, instead of moving Memorial Day to Tuesday and 4th of July to Wednesday or whatever it was, I just knocked those out. 
around a holiday. And that knocked out something like 15% of the calls. And that was another breakthrough moment where I asked someone for feedback, they gave it to me and I took action on it. And you can't take action every time, but you at least have to close the loop on it. Say, boy, thanks for that idea. I just, it doesn't work right now. I'm gonna keep a little file over here in case it might work in the future. But that simple exercise with a 20 year veteran of the firm was such a big move. Because as soon as that happened, I made the announcement, hey, everyone, I'm going to get rid of a bunch of these calls this year because Brian thinks we have too many. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll try it for a pilot thing this year and see what happens. And then all these invites popped off their calendar. So they saw the feedback loop. They saw the acknowledgement. They saw the invites go away. And what actually happened, an unintended consequence, supply and demand, right? Fewer calls. I started to see this, this more of a lean-in thing. Oh, we're not going to have as many calls, so I need to sort of be more engaged because we don't have as many shots on goal, if you will. End of the year rolls around. So the calls, I would say the quality improved. I also gave them a chance to, I would let them lead every other one, part or all of it. <clears throat> they got to pick the agenda, the topic, whatever. Many times we brainstorm on that, but they got to own it. Uh, at the end of the year, I, at last call of the year, I said, hey guys, um, you know, we've done this pilot with fewer calls. What do you think? Should we bring all the calls back? And uh, Evan, I think the phrase is, the silence was deafening. Uh, as the response to that question. So we kept the calls off and guess what? Our business kept growing. Like these eight calls or 12 calls, whatever it was that we got rid of, like, you know. And if I had to get something out, you know, I could make a sort of a bonus call schedule, but we didn't have this sort of hour tethered to their calendar like every other Monday. I think that first off, I, I like it because it's, it's, it's a very simple thing and, and it wasn't significant, a significant cutback. There's so many opportunities with communication tools out there today to communicate yeah. and get information out there that weren't there before. And I think that there is a dependency on the idea of a weekly meeting or what, you know, whatever. Uh, and I do believe in, in communication, but, you know, we did a similar thing. We used to do a weekly meeting in our company and then we switched to every other week for the full team. And then the management uh, team had a, a meeting in one of those two weeks and then we had a week off. Um, but there needed to be greater commitment to sending out announcements to the team of things that were happening because, you know, when you go two weeks, if something important is happening that people need to know about, which is one of the reasons you do weekly meetings, you can make up for it by shooting out an email and letting everyone know what's going on. Uh, but to be honest, my biggest, if I was to critique myself, my biggest problem is I don't share enough information and I don't not share it because I don't want to share it. I don't share it because I work at such a pace that I forget. I don't think to share. Um, and, um, you know, as I'm sitting here now thinking about all the things I haven't shared. <laughs> <laughs> this this kind of gets back to one of my points, which is this allocation of, change, I think it's also incumbent upon the manager to, to think about that. How am I going to better improve communication? How am I going to better improve team dynamics this year? And again, allocating time to that because you can, right? What is, uh, what's that famous quote? Uh, 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 you know, we're always all super busy, but you know, what I found is really important is getting that, that real, that real connection with your team members you know, sending them little gifts when they're on vacations with their spouse in their hotel room. Like that 50 bucks is the best $50 you'll ever spend. Uh, that was a little trick I learned over the years. You know, they'd be on, I'd find out what hotel they were at for 
a trip there with, with their wife or family, and I'd send them a bottle of champagne or something or strawberries. And, you know, you would have thought I'd send a $10,000 in bag of cash for their trip, you know? Yeah. Um, just little, simple things like that. Little things make a, make a huge difference. Make yeah. A, uh, and just finding those connections and making them know, making them very aware, not by your words, by your actions, that you're listening. Right? Yeah. Engaging them in the journey, challenging them in a meaningful way and finding, they want to grow. They want to get better. They want to be involved. And that's what the book is about, developing a process to kind of bring that out. Yeah, I used to, in my former company, send the spouse of whoever we were hiring flowers and welcome them to the family. Genius. Uh, right after I hired. At our current company, though, we, we send out chocolate turtles because our company is turtle. And our, I our see the name turtles. there, yeah, yeah. And so we have a company that makes these really incredibly tasty chocolate turtles. Uh, so we send out chocolate turtles instead of flowers. But, uh, um, uh, but it, it, little things make a huge difference. Portal Training's Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e-learning courses, instructor-led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. To learn more, visit portal.com forward slash learning dash development. But you said something that I really loved I want to dig into, which is planning time for change or planning time for ideation. In other words, process improvement, optimization, as your title of your book is, isn't like, oh, something happened today and now we choose to optimize. We are actually taking the time to create the time. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how, how that works? Yeah, it, it uh, and I will tell you the, the, the answer to your question was a process and I think getting to where I landed on it. Uh, so I didn't start with this answer, but this is where, where I've really landed, which is I would ask guys to think about, all right, we've got these new tools, we've got these new resources, whatever the initiatives were at, uh, we were trying to work on at the time of uh, uh, at the firm I worked for on Wall Street. And I, I challenged the guys, said, hey, how do we find a good way to use this? We have these amazing tools. I think they can really change the industry, but we haven't quite figured out you know, quite how to use them yet. So I would challenge them. And what I eventually got to was actually getting them to write them in their business plan. So what I've found over the years, and I, I'm sure I'm not the first guy to come up with this idea, but if someone puts something in writing, yeah. the level of ownership just goes up at, at some magnitude, of, you know, 3X or something. And so I asked them every year in their business plan, write one, maybe two things that you're going to do to get better at your job this year, operate better, more efficiently, more effectively, you know, and you choose. I don't want to dump it in your lap. I want you to come up with the idea. Obviously, it's, we want it to be relevant to what we're trying to solve for here and our business goals, but you choose it. They would put in their business plan. Then we had calls, one-on-one -on -one calls every two weeks. And I would say, hey, how's it going with that? What have you tried? What's worked? What hasn't worked? And we'd go through this conversation over a number of months as they found out if it worked or if it's just something they needed to get rid of because it just was never going to work. But if it, if it did work, I'd have them present it to the team. Hey, everyone, Rick figured out this new way to get this done. So instead of all of you taking the six months it took him to get here, let him tell you about the challenges he had throughout the journey. And I'd always tell him to whoever it was to share that story. Like it wasn't a straight line to get there. There were all these bumps in the road, but let's all start where he is six, you know, let's catch up six months and leapfrog all this time he spent getting there and now adopt that in our own processes. And that, so there was this sort of friendly way to challenge people to get better. 
And in this case, Rick, who I'm talking about was one of my perennial top performers. And I think a mistake some leaders make over time is their top people, they, they think, oh, well, this person's got it figured out. I'm just going to kind of let them be. I would argue your top people want to be challenged. It's harder for you to find a way to do it because they're operating at such a high level. But I think it's really important that you do do it because they will help raise the bar for everybody. And as people see them even saying, hey, I haven't got this all figured out. I can keep learning. It inspires the rest of the team to come along. And then as they go through those steps from the top person to the bottom, I give them that showcase moment to say, hey, this, whoever you are, if you figured out something to help us improve, the stage is yours. Let's share your story. You know, it's, it's interesting listening to you because I hear these, these little nuggets. So I think most companies have yearly plans. You, you know, I, I know like our company, we get together uh, late October, early November to work on next year's initiative. And we'll put it through a, you know, a framework. What are we hearing our customers want? What do we see our competitors doing? You know, what are you know, the things that we need to do to sell more in essence? Yeah. But we never really look through the framework of how do we get better at what we do? Right? We might look at new, new tools, new things, but not new processes. We don't think about that. Uh, so I really like that idea of really taking time to thinking about how do we work together as a team from an efficiency, from a communication point of view, uh, because I think that you know, for me, that's my opportunity from growth, you know, listening to, listening to you. Um, I know that sometimes when you have these things happen, could you share a story? Because I know that you have one. Uh, about, you know, a, a breakthrough that happened an experience that literally changed the team. Uh, sure. This is, uh, uh, there was a new, I, I got to give my uh, firm at the time a, a lot of credit. The industry was getting more and more competitive. Margin pressure was happening. And eight or nine years ago, the firm said, boy, we need to evolve our sales force. We can't just, you know, sort of hit the hammer harder, right? That, that we need to find a better way to swing the hammer. And so we brought in all these new consulting tools instead of being traditional sales guys, if I can use air quotes and use that term, uh, we really wanted to evolve and turn into much more of a consultative approach. And which seems almost cliche to say 2020, but I'm talking, this was eight or nine years ago. So the firm I was arguing was well ahead of the uh, industry at that time. And so we brought all these tools out and uh, in the process of challenging my people from the top to the sort of bottom end of the bell curve and how to get better and how to use these tools more effectively, Two guys figured out, my top two performers figured out, hey, if, if we actually, instead of just coaching these clients of ours on how to use our products, but how to actually make their business better, uh, they found a very effective way to get that done, which was not just to coach them in their offices where the phone's ringing and emails are going off and constant distractions. They figured out, they kind of took an idea of some of their top clients, which was, let's take them to an offsite, you know, go spend three hours in a conference room at a, you know, hotel or whatever or in their, you know, just get them out of the office in, in a, a quiet space and do this offsite model where we can come in, spend a bunch of time in the front end with them running this meeting and then helping them really dig into two or three issues and helping run the agenda for them and be that third party to kind of help run this meeting. And so they started doing this and they were having this just extraordinary results from that. Their business was just growing at a parabolic rate because their clients were realizing, holy cow, this person's insanely valuable to my business. So of course I had to present that to my team and over the phone, the first time we were a remote team and it was kind of a lackluster approach because people realized, wow, this is a ton of work and a lot of change to get to where these guys are. And then 
month or two later, we had a face-to-face meeting, had to present it again. People were seeing their business continue to take off. There was a bit more adoption, but they weren't, it just wasn't happening. And I was having one-on-one calls with the folks and trying to figure out the road, the block. And what I finally figured out was they can't visualize it. They've spent their entire careers out presenting products. Sometimes sales for many years was very sort of one directional. Here's a story. Here's my product. Okay, bye. <laughs> and this was more a much more of a dialogue, consultative conversation. So I had my own offsite meeting coming up, kind of a two-day thing where I was take my own team off to, in this case, Philly. And I was thinking, how do I get everyone to figure out this offsite concept? And it hit me as I was driving one day. I have the best ideas when I'm driving for some reason. I said, I'll have these two guys run my offsite meeting just like they run their offsite meetings. So my team can have this experiential learning moment and they, they can't see what it looks like. And that was what I figured out was the roadblock was. And so I said, if they live through it, then they can see it. And, and uh, so I broke up the team in half, had one guy interview half of them, just like he would his clients. What are your big problems? What would you like to work on? These kind of things. The other guy did the same thing. We got that information, brought in a specialty coach that we could, uh, uh, we could lean on. And we built the agenda around exactly that, just like they did for their clients. And then we, I gave them the entire half day. So they were completely on stage for this half day of the meeting, all about this experiential learning moment. And after everybody, now they saw it, they lived through it. They saw the interview on the front end. And then from that, I got that feedback and said, all right, we built the agenda around the things you want to learn. And then I took that information and said, all right, everyone tell me what's the one or two things of this list I have here that you all gave that you want to work on. And then that gave me very, uh, specific things to work with each individual on going forward. So it really took the entire mo- the entire offsite thing and brought it, put it right in their lap, if you will. And that was the breakthrough moment where everyone said, oh, this is how it works. This is how I find very specific things to help my clients with. And adoption really took off from there as did our business results. Well, you know, it's, in- it's interesting. I'm li- listening to you. And of course, I always listen from a train you know, framework because it's training unleashed and all. Um, but a lot of it's the same issue in training that people learn differently. Some people are great. They could read something. Some people can pick it up. Some people need to, to visually see it. And, you know, I love the idea of the real world environment and, you know, and getting to experience, experience it, which I think is you know, the highest level of learning. I guess the highest level of learning is really when you're teaching it, right? Because when you, get, when you actually teach it, you ha- have to fully understand it. But um, I love that idea. I love that idea a lot. Uh, let's, let's talk about training for just a second here. Um, you know, we've got a group of trainers listening to you, and you know, we have training professionals and of all, you know, all different roles. But how do you take innovation to training? What, you know, you know if if we're just ta- talk for a few minutes about your recommendations, if you were running a training department and training departments in, in most businesses are support departments there, uh, you know, I, I, w- I would like to think they should be strategic and, and you know, should be sitting at the big table. Um, but in many cases, they're not. Um, in many cases, they're reactive versus proactive, not saying that that's the way they should be, but that's the way you know, this whole podcast is about the idea of unleashing training and taking training to the next level because most companies undervalue it. And I know I'm asking a really long question here, but what, what advice would you give to people? On, on how to innovate on training? Yeah. I mean, one of the key concepts that I kind of breezed over in that story that I just shared about the experiential idea was 
I didn't just go to my team and say, hey, this is what we're doing. I went to the two key guys and the outside, we had this internal trainer we could lean on as well. I went to them and I said, hey, here's another one of my crazy ideas. You know, <laughs> what do you think? And that's where the conversation started. And it was really engaging them in the journey. So it wasn't me just pushing this idea on them. And so where it kind of started in my mind, they actually helped massage it a bunch. So I think the way I'm trying to answer your question is it's about engaging everyone in this journey. And I tried to do that before these meetings to get their feedback. And once we figured out this roadmap to do the survey beforehand and everyone got to have input in the agenda, this was no longer their meeting, or excuse me, this was no longer my meeting. It was their meeting, right? I didn't show up and say, here's the agenda guys. This is your agenda, you made it. So, I mean, the engagement in the meeting grew. You said it, if you teach it, you learn it better. The guys that ran the meeting actually improved how they did it for their clients. I mean, just across the board. And then the follow-on was so key in that they now had a list of things they already said they needed help with. Think about if you go to a team member and say, Evan, uh, I think you're terrible at this. So we're going to spend some time working on this, right? As opposed to them uh, self-identifying, right? Hey, John, you're my, like, I'd love to get, this is a topic I'd like to work on. So they were now bringing that insight to me. So it was really, I think the short answer to your question is engaging them in that journey in a feedback loop because they know where they need help, but finding creative ways to, to un- unearth that information without making them feel threatened, that's a key element to it. And this all gets back to this trust concept I talked, we talked about earlier. And it also sounds like in, in your process, you utilized and, and took advantage of people in the training department within your process. For sure. And, you know, and, and they help facilitate and, you know, to me, you know, I very much advocate uh, for training people to try to participate in different strategic planning, tactical planning, and to be in at the beginning. So people can understand, the people in the training department can understand the impact of the changes and people can be proactive and, instead of reactive. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, having that gentleman, so he was also the trainer person, was also involved in this planning session what ended up having coming out of it for him was he then took that back to his group and suddenly we were getting calls from all over the country saying, Hey, what are you guys doing with this stuff? You know, how, how did you do that? (laughs) Uh, So it actually helped their group evolve as well, which was really kind of fun. Yeah. And I think it's great when training departments can be that kind of conduit for sure. Yeah. Um, So John, we don't have unlimited time, although I very much enjoy talking with you. Um, I know you have an, an offer, a very generous offer. And if you could just take a second and, share that with our audience, I would appreciate that. Sure. If, uh, you know, people like the stories I've had to share and, and are looking to looking for some opportunities to unleash the talent in their team, uh, go on my website. It's johncsaunders.com, just my middle initial and last name, S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S. And there's a right, the little green button at the top says schedule a 30 minute consult. It's completely complimentary and love to sit down and chat with you about, you know, does it make sense for us to work together? Well, I think that is a extremely generous offer because a lot of times people give a white paper, give this, you're giving time. So I want to just acknowledge you for that. Um, and as you know, we always end our show with, if you had to share one tip, one training tip, what would that one tip be uh, for our, our audience? Yeah, I, I think the biggest one I found, and I found this applied so many places, it, it's don't be afraid to ask people for help and let them know that you don't have it all figured out. You know, and, and that's very much how that experiential learning story I shared came from. It was me saying, hey, guys, I'm, you know, I don't have the whole world figured out here. Let's figure this out together. And I, you know, kind of put that ask out for help. And 
boy, were the results just extraordinary. People got engaged. It just really grew what we were trying to do. And we finally saw this wall we were kind of hitting with this breakthrough. You know, I, I love, I love your, I love your, your tip, which is to ask for help. And I just want to hone in on this for a second. I think a lot of people feel um, like they're not worthy or that they're imposing when they ask for help. And I think most people that are being asked for help deeply appreciate it. They appreciate that their opinion matters and that they can contribute and that you, instead of pushing people away, you actually bring people closer. And then they're more willing to ask you for help so your relationship deepens. Do you find something similar in your experience? Uh, I, I could not agree with that statement more. I mean, so what you're really doing, and I, I let me do the sort of role-playing thing here for a moment to frame it out more specifically. When these conversations start, look something like this, and I might, I think I said it earlier, which is in the case with Rick, you know, Rick, I'm trying to figure out this offsite. You've had so many great ideas, you know, how would you sort of set up this offsite if you were me? I'd love to have that discussion with you. And when I had, like I talked about earlier, when I had that conversation with my clients in 2011 or whatever it was, I mean, one, the relationships deepened massively. Here's a Here's a, you know, a vendor, a sales guy that's calling on me and asking me for my advice because he thinks I'm so smart, and, which was totally true. Uh, and putting yourself out there and you'll definitely hear feedback you don't want to hear, but that's how you grow. And as you do it more, it gets easier with your clients, with your team members and the, the buy-in that they start to see because you're listening and paying attention and doing the thing, taking, acting on the feedback they're, they're uh, offering up is just extraordinary. Well, I think feedback and honesty is the greatest gift you can give anybody. I, I, I really do. I think so much of time people spend people pleasing, appeasing, uh, not being honest. Um, it, you know, it's, I use the word appalling, but, but it is. We, we try to be nice. We try to be nice. But the asking for feedback, I think, is a very nice step because it gives someone permission. Because people aren't going to come up to you and say, John, you need to do this, this, and this to make me a happier customer. They're just not going to do that. You have, you have to have that opportunity to give them the freedom to, to give you real feedback by asking. So uh, I, I love the advice that you're giving. I want to appreciate you as a guest. I want to appreciate my listeners uh, as uh, listeners really show wouldn't be here without you. And I want to also take a moment and acknowledge the people at C-Suite, C-Suite Radio, and C-Suite TV. Uh, they're terrific partners on the show. And everyone have a fantastic day. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Total Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Total makes effective training easier. Just go to Tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L, tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.